Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. If man is to bear his own sin and be punished for his own sin, that means separation from God forever. God doesn't want that because he loves man. So what does he do? God the Son becomes the sin bearer. God the Son comes and he puts himself there between sinful men and a holy God and he bears the wrath of God against sin. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 3, verse 15, in a message titled, The First Gospel Message. Now, here's Pastor Brian. We find Matthew describing the situation between Joseph and Mary, and Mary miraculously conceiving, and we find Matthew saying, and this was all done to fulfill the words of the prophet Isaiah, which said, behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So Matthew, the inspired apostle and writer of the first gospel, he tells us unequivocally, without any hesitation whatsoever, that the birth of Jesus Christ was a virgin birth in fulfillment to or of the prophecies that were given by Isaiah. And so it's all right here. Now, as you probably know, Genesis is one of the most fiercely attacked books in all the Bible. And the reason for that, the primary reason, is because, as we pointed out in earlier studies, the seed plot for everything else is right here in Genesis, and especially in the first 11 chapters. And so here it is, Genesis chapter 3, the prophecy, the first gospel message about the Redeemer that's going to come into the world, and the Redeemer is going to come in an extraordinary way. The Redeemer is going to be born of a virgin, hinted at in Genesis, further revealed through the prophets, and clarified totally and completely when we come to the New Testament. Now, the Lord speaking to the serpent, I'm going to reverse the order here. He says that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. He would bruise the heel. All his life long, his heel, that is his human nature, speaking of Jesus, his human nature was perpetually being made to suffer. We read in the Gospels that Jesus carried our sicknesses and bore our sorrows. But the bruising came mainly when both in body and mind, his whole human nature was made to agonize when his soul was exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. 
and his enemies pierced his hands and his feet, and he endured the shame and the pain of death by crucifixion. This is what is being referred to in this statement, you shall bruise his heel. And so Jesus was afflicted. And as we go through the account and remembering, if we look closely as we read through the gospel accounts, we will find that Satan is instrumental in all that's going on. He's very much a part of this whole thing that's transpiring. For you remember, it was Satan who put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot to betray Jesus. And it literally says in Luke that Satan entered Judas. So here it is, the prophecy being fulfilled to where it's Satan himself who's orchestrating the events. He possesses Judas and gets Judas to betray him. He incites hatred in the priest and the Pharisees toward Jesus. Hostility from Rome. He's behind the scenes working all of this against Christ. And through this, he brings about the crucifixion of Jesus. Of course, thinking himself that he's one, thinking that he has accomplished his task of averting God's plan. But he forgot the other part of the prophecy. He shall crush your head. And the picture really is that while the seed of the woman is crushing the head of the serpent and thus destroying the serpent, it would be at that same time simultaneously that his heel would be bruised. And that's exactly what happened. Because it was through the cross that Jesus destroyed the devil. That is where he crushed the head of the serpent. Listen to what Paul said, Colossians 2.15. He says, having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in the cross. It was on the cross that Jesus publicly displayed his victory over Satan. He triumphed over the principalities, the devil and his minions. He triumphed over them there upon the cross. As we're told in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the devil. You see, that's how he crushed the head of the serpent. He did it through death. He did it through dying. You see, because sin, what did it merit? Well, you remember what God said to Adam. 
He said, in the day that you eat of that fruit, you will die. And so sin produced death. And the sinner was sentenced to death. But Jesus comes. He is the seed of the woman. He has no human father. God is his actual father. He has no sin. He's not tainted with sin like every other person that's ever lived has been. And because he is sinless, he is able to bear the punishment for those who have sinned. And by dying in their place, he destroys the power that the devil holds over them, that power that's connected back to sin. I think that C.S. Lewis captured the essence of this so powerfully, and he communicated it so wonderfully in his book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Maybe you've read the book, maybe you've seen, it's of course in a, it's a movie now, but there's that moment where Aslan, who is Lewis's um, picture of Christ, where Aslan has actually been slain by the witch, but now has come back to life. And everybody is puzzled as to what, what has happened. And Aslan says this. He says, the witch knew the deep magic. But if she had looked a little further back, she would have known that when a willing victim who had committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table, which is representative of the law, the table would crack and death itself would start working backwards. That's what happened. Jesus comes and he magnifies the law. He makes it honorable. He keeps it in thought, word, and deed every moment of his earthly life. We, of course, have never done anything remotely close to that. And because he is innocent, because he is sinless, because he has upheld the law, he is able to then become the propitiation Propitiation, the idea is to satisfy the wrath of God. So God's wrath against sin, which must come because of God's holiness. Because God declared the soul that sins shall die. Because God said to Adam, in the day that you eat of this, you shall die. This sentence must be executed. There's no possible way around it. I mentioned a few studies back about some of the reasons why God couldn't simply just say, okay, time out, we made a mistake, let's go back and start over again. And I mentioned a few reasons why God couldn't do that. My brilliant wife pointed out to me another excellent reason. And it was simply this, because God could not go back on his word. 
God could not go back on his word. Just think for a moment, if at some point in time, God went back on his word. If God didn't keep his word, if God at some point in time said he was gonna do something, promised to do something, declared that he would do something, but did not do it. You know what that would result in? It would result in an inability to ever trust God truly and completely. Because there's always the possibility then that he might change his mind. But of course, he won't change his mind. He declared that he does not change in that sense. And so when he says to to man, in the day that you eat of it, you shall die, that sentence must be carried out. But if man is to bear his own sin and be punished for his own sin, that means separation from God forever. God doesn't want that because he loves man. So what does he do? God the Son becomes the sin bearer. God the Son comes and he puts himself there between sinful men and a holy God, and he bears the wrath of God against sin. He is the propitiation for our sins. And so the devil's grip and power was broken. And it was on the cross that Jesus defeated Satan. Now we are, all of us, waiting for the final manifestation of that victory, aren't we? But what we need to remember when we think about the devil, when we consider the fact that we are in a conflict with him, we need to remember that he is already a defeated foe. Christ has overcome him. And he did it on the cross, and he will one day come and show that universally. He will come and show that victory. But as we close, here's one other thing that I think is very important for us to, to understand and to, and to think about and to communicate when the opportunity arises. You see, one of the biggest problems that people have when they hear about the claims of Christ is they have a big problem with the idea that Jesus is the only way, don't they? I mean, people really are bothered by that. They, to them, that just seems so unfair. And they will talk about, well, but what about, what about these wonderful people over here? They're worshiping God. What do you mean they're not gonna go to heaven? And what do you mean that Jesus is the only way? And how can you Christians make that sort of a claim? You know, a few years ago, I've shared this before, but bear with me if you've heard it. A few years ago, though, I was watching an interview on Larry King, and he was interviewing two leading evangelicals who are wonderful people, godly people, faithful ministers of God's word. And and Larry asked them, as he will often do, You know, so what about the Jew? He, of course, is Jewish. Or what about the Muslim? And, you know, he'll go through his list. And now, are you know, are you really saying that these people and and then, you know, he'll get around to, now, is anybody going to get to heaven apart from Jesus? And in asking that question, 
to these two evangelical leaders, they both responded by quoting the same verse, John 14, 6. Of course, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. And, and, and of course, that's true. But you know, as I thought about it, I thought, although that is true, I think that in the times that we're living in, I think we need to give something a little bit more thorough than that. I think we need to make sure we connect Jesus to the bigger picture of human history. Because, of course, for some people, Jesus is simply just this Jewish man who comes along and suddenly he's saying, I'm God, and he's saying, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And, you know, why should we believe him versus somebody else? And and that's a legitimate question. But it's important that we put Jesus in, in the proper context so that people can understand. And I think what we need to do is we need to go right back to the very beginning. We need to go right back here to Genesis. Because what do we have in the beginning? We've got one God, and we've got one humanity, and that humanity falls into sin and is separated from God, and that one God says to humanity, I am going to send you a deliverer. I'm going to send you a redeemer. Someone's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And through that one, salvation is going to come to the entire world. And of course, as we've seen, this is the beginning of the prophecy, but we go further in Genesis, we come to Abraham. God calls Abraham out and says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a blessing. And through your seed, all of the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's the messianic promise right there. What God is saying is it's through Abraham's seed, through his descendant, that he is going to bring a blessing to all of the nations of the earth. So you see, I think it's important that we make the connection and that people understand that Jesus isn't just some Jewish person that arose in history like some of the previous prophets making extraordinary claims. Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies that go back to the very dawn of time And, of course, the prophecies had to do with how man was going to be reconciled to God. And to me, that makes it very clear that there is only one way back. God has made one way. He hasn't made numerous ways. There aren't several options depending on what a person might fancy. There's one God, one humanity in sin And God sent one redeemer into the world, and that one redeemer is Jesus Christ, and he is the only way that a man can come into a relationship with God. But I think if we take the time to explain things a little more thoroughly, now, of course, some people are never going to, they don't, doesn't matter how much time we took to explain it, they're still not going to listen But I do think that others might have some of that confusion cleared up, which might open the door for them to 
move more in the direction of the Lord. So remember this first great prophecy. You know, one of the most helpful things to do, and and not only is it helpful, but it's an absolute blessing for yourself personally. And I would encourage you and, you know, maybe even put out a bit of a challenge to you. Go back into the Old Testament and find all the prophecies that point to Christ and memorize them. Because this is not only a tremendous blessing for us personally, but it's such a powerful tool to use when we are talking to people. You know, again, some people today, they don't realize when we tell them that there are prophecies of the birth of Christ 700 years before he was born, they're like, what? Are you kidding? Well, show me that. I remember many years ago sitting down with a young girl from Italy, and she was very skeptical. She was, by her own admission, she was an agnostic, and she was rather hostile, and Bible didn't want to have anything to do, didn't want to hear it, and Jesus, and all of that, and I, I took the approach of prophecy with her. She was astounded. She couldn't believe it. And as I was reading to her Psalm 22 and telling her this was written 1,000 years before Jesus... And as I read to her, her, Isaiah 53, this is written 700 years before Jesus was ever born. She says, no, that's impossible. That couldn't be. Are you sure? How do you know? (laughs) She was rattled. If these things were written before, then, then I might have to rethink my position. So go through. Take the time. It's a great study. Look at Christ in the law. So many places here in the first five books of Moses, and this is the first one, where we have pictures and prophecies of Jesus. And then you can go to the Psalms. So many of the Psalms, as we already know, some of them, most notably Psalm 22, prophecies of the Messiah. And then, of course, the prophets themselves, clear statements. When we were in Israel, we were on the bus with our guide, who was a Jewish man but wasn't a believer in Jesus as the Messiah. And I read, I, I just told him, I said, I want to read you something from the Bible. So I read him Isaiah 53. And then I asked him, I said, who do you think wrote that? He was a pretty sharp guy. He says, oh, well, of course, that was Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I said, let's try Isaiah, your prophet. He was stunned. Couldn't believe it. He said to me, well, that's obviously talking about Jesus. I said, yes, (laughs) that's right, (laughs) obviously. prophecy. What a great, great tool. But again, not just a great tool, but something that just makes us stronger, gets us more established in our faith. And here's where it all began. The first prophecy, the first gospel sermon Genesis 
For the month of September, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled, God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. The current culture is enamored with things that are new, novel, or out of the ordinary. But the everyday and seemingly mundane and ordinary things of life are given hardly any thought. But what surprises can be revealed by the common things in life? In his book, God of All Things, Andrew Wilson will help you to encounter the extraordinary in the ordinary in a way that exalts Jesus and provides practical application. You'll be astonished at how everyday things can offer glimpses of the character and gospel of God. This book will move you to worship and the enjoyment of God. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order God of All Things, Rediscovering the Sacred in an Everyday World by Andrew Wilson. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.